Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. A pleasant Wednesday afternoon. We have a cold front coming next week, but enjoying the moderate weather, although winter is cold, isn't it? Um, so let's hope that our words of Torah can warm us up um, in the short time we have together. I want to start out with talking about, as we usually do, the Jewish calendar and the significant dates of this week. Um, tomorrow being the fast of Shiva Asper Tammuz or the 17th of Tammuz, which we'll get to that in a moment. But I just would like to mention um, that on Sunday, the 13th of Tammuz, was the yacht site of the great and holy Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman. Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman was one of the greatest rabbis in Europe before World War II. And uh, he was a person who was legendary in his piety and in his scholarship. He was the Talmud Mufak, the primary student of the Chovetz Chaim. Um, the Chovetz Chaim, of course, was the Gadol Ador, was the greatest Jew in the world at the time, um, at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century. Chovetz Chaim being the author of the Mishnah Bura, and he wrote his famous work called Shmira Saloshan, um, Chovetz Chaim, which was d- discusses the laws of Loshan Hora, and he uh, put great effort into uh, educating the Jewish people of the importance of guarding our tongues, of watching what we say, of not using our speech in a harmful way, but rather using our speech to build rather than to destroy. Chavetz Chaim explains so brilliantly, not only the halachas of Lashon Hara, but the um, hashkafic, the uh, and ideas and reasons why destructive speech is so devastating and why it really is at the source of all suffering of the Jewish people. Um, so the great Chovetz Chaim, who led Klai Yisrael at the beginning of the 20th century, he had a number of famous Talmudim, but the most famous of all of them was Rav Alchon and Wasserman. Um, the Chovetz Chaim made a numerous attempts to get to Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to go and spend the final years of his life in the land of Israel, um, there were a number of different reasons why that wasn't possible. But while he was preparing to do so, although he didn't succeed in doing so at the end, um, many of the great rabbis of Europe said to him, Rebbe, how could you leave us? Who's going to lead Klai Israel if you are in Eretz Israel? And the Chovetz Chaim answered and he said, you don't have to worry, you have Rav Al-Khanan. So Rav Al-Khanan was viewed by Israel the Chovetz Chaim as the one who would lead Klai Israel after the Chofetz death in 1933, and that was the case. Rav Elchanan had a yeshiva in a place called Baranovich, and it was called Ohel Torah, and was one of the great yeshivas of Lithuania in those days. Um, Rav Elchanan was uh, not only known for his great scholarship, uh, he wrote a famous work called Koibitz Maimarim, which was a, discru- a discussion of his understanding of different ideas in uh, the Torah, and contemporary events. He also wrote um, his work on the Talmud called Koivet Shiurim, classic work, also an outstanding classic work. 
So Rav Ochanan built his yeshiva called Ohel Torah in Bronovich. Bronovich today is in Belarus, but in, in those days, it, you know, the, the borders moved quite regularly between Poland and uh, Lithuania. In those days, it was part of Lithuania, um, but today is Belarus. So Rav Ochanan built this yeshiva and it became one of the great yeshivas of Europe at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, so Rav Ochanan also was, you know, a Rosh Yeshiva is not only known for his the shiurim that he gives and his great um, scholarship and understanding of Torah, but also he has to take responsibility for the running of the yeshiva and for the expenses of the yeshiva. And so one of the um, responsibilities of um, one of the responsibilities of a Rosh Yeshiva is to fundraise. And uh, that burden fell to Rav Ochanan. It was a significant burden because of his um, fame and his uh, his uh, reputation as a great Talmud Chochem. He attracted many Talmudim to the yeshiva, um, and therefore he had to now fund the yeshiva, which was not a simple thing. And he did uh, a lot of fundraising in Europe, and he also went to the United States to raise money, as was the case Um for the many of the great yeshivas at the beginning of the 20th century, they they saw the Jews had become prosperous in America, and they needed their support financially to keep the yeshivas of Europe going. Rav Ochanan went to the United States in 1939, and they said to him, "Rebbe, stay with us, don't go back." Um, everybody could see that the great dangers of war were present in Europe. And nobody knew what the future would be. Hitler being the maniac that he was and the anti-Semite that he was. The life of Jews in Europe was in absolute peril and danger. And in 1939, before the Second World War broke out, so people understood that. Rav Ochanan said they offered him positions, they offered to look after him. He was able to get his wife and his one son, Rav Simcha, out. But uh, he said, I can't leave my yeshiva I can't leave my Talmudim. I have to go back to them, especially at this time of danger. And Rav Ochanan returned to Europe. He returned back to back to his yeshiva. And uh, unfortunately, so so he actually was taken. I've been there. I've been to Lithuania and uh, to Kovno. Um, Rav Ochanan was found in a house in in um, Slobodka. Slobodka is a suburb of Kovno. So how did he end up there? Why was he there? He actually was the help, house of Rav of Avraham Grzynski, um, who was one of the great rabbis of Europe at the time and a close friend of Rav Ochanan. So what actually happened was that um, when the terrible events of um, in the 1930s were taking place in Europe, so the um, Russians and the Germans had the um, Molotov and Ribbentrop Pact, which was their agreement. And then the Nazis moved into Poland in 1939, in September 1939, and there's the beginning of World War II. And so all the Jews in Lithuania, at that time Lithuania was under Russian control, because remember, they split Poland in half. The Nazis controlled half of Poland, and the Russians controlled the other half of Poland. That Poland, that was their agreement. Um, so now the Jews were under Russian control. And, uh, they, you know, the, the, uh, communists were as brutal and as frightening as the Nazis for the Jewish people. 
Um, and the only city that was still independent was an international city, was Vilna. Vilna maintained its independence until the Nazis um, started Operation Barbarossa in June of 1941. So the many of the yeshivas throughout Lithuania didn't want to be under Russian control, and they went to Vilna, which was still a free international city and hadn't yet been occupied by the Russians. It was about to happen. But it hadn't happened yet. So all the yeshivas fled. In fact, Rav Olchanan and uh, Rav Aaron Kotler went to see Rav um, Chaim Oizekrzynski, who was the great leader of, of, of the Jewish people at the time, to discuss what to do. Rav Chaim Oizekrzynski said, tell everybody to come to Vilna. And so all the yeshivas went to Vilna. Um, please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the great Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, one of the greatest Jews that lived in the last hundred years. Rabbi Elchanan um, led the yeshiva in Branovich, and when World War II broke out, at the advice of Rav Chaim Ozegruzhinsky, who was the Gadol Ador after the Chavz Chaim died, he was the senior Gadol Ador, um, and he advised all the yeshivas to come to Vilna. And in Vilna, um, they could see that they couldn't handle all the refugees. Um, so in, in, in the uh, late months of 1939, there were already 2,500 yeshiva borchim in Vilna. And so Rav Chaim Oza decided that they should go out to other parts of Lithuania. Um, and they thought maybe, you know, two yeshivas could go to one town. And Rav Chaim Oza said, no, each yeshiva's got its own character and its own flavor. And therefore, you shouldn't mix the yeshivas. And so he sent the different yeshivas out to different towns in in Lithuania. And Rav Ochonan's yeshiva, Boronovich, went to a town called Troika. Actually, we went there in, a, in our tour of Lithuania. Um, Rav Ochonen had two sons, married sons at the time, and he was frantically trying to get visas for his family and for his Talmudim to the United States. Um, unsuccessfully, he contacted Rabbi Eliezer Silvans in Sanadi to try and get visas. He tried to get visas to go to Eretz Yisrael, um, but was not successful in all of those attempts. In June 1940, the Russians annexed Vilna itself as well, so it didn't make a difference if you were in Vilna. On August the 9th, 1940, Rav Chaim Oizeh died, which uh, was just so devastating for the Jews of, of Eastern Europe. They were under this terrible fear and pressure. They saw the end was near, and now their greatest uh, leader, Rav Chaim Oizeh Krasinski, dies just then, on August the 9th, 1940. Um, Rav Ochanan in Troika kept the yeshiva going. They still kept learning through all of this turbulence and all of this turmoil. Um, he felt that it was important that they should continue the learning. Um, but already by – they spent October 1940, Rav Al-Khanan was in Kelm with the yeshiva. And by the beginning of 41, um, he said that the Talmudim should now leave. And uh, they tried to – wherever they could go, many of them went to Kovno. And they got um, visas from the famous Sugihara, who Senpo Sugihara, who was the uh, envoy for the Japanese embassy in Kovno. And he, um, at great risk to himself, uh, he, he gave visas 
to many, many Jews uh, to travel to Shanghai, to travel to, to Japan at the time. Um, and uh, it was a whole long story. It's a, a story worthwhile going into. Maybe uh, one time we could do that. That's actually a very good idea to talk about Sugihara and his incredible efforts. And he ended up saving many hundreds of Jews. Uh, I've been to the embassy in Kovno and to where Sugihara lived. And uh, it's an, a fascinating story. And so, so pe- people were just scrambling to try and get out. And the only successful route actually was through Sugihara at the Japanese consul in Kovno, um, in which many were successful. Rav Elchonen, um then went to Slobodka. He went to his good friend, Rav Avram Krzyzinski, and uh, he, uh, he was there in the house. And the Nazis then conquered, they then occupied Lithuania. Um, after operation, after the, the, the June 23rd, 1941, was Operation Barbarossa, where the Nazis attacked the Russians. Stalin couldn't believe that Hitler was doing this to him. And uh, they um, then you know, pushed the Russians back rapidly. And the the terrible atrocities began immediately with the Einsatzgruppens just behind the front lines of the German troops. And the Lithuanians assisted the Nazis. The Lithuanians were not only complicit, but they were active in their discrimination and in the atrocities that took place. The Lithuanians were absolutely terrible and uh, were at the forefront of many massacres of Jews, many pogroms, um, so that which the Einsatzgruppen didn't take care of. So the Lithuanians took care of themselves. They led the Nazis to the Jews. They picked out all the Jews. It was just diabolical and unimaginable how... Neighbors that they had lived next to for decades and centuries now turned on their Jewish neighbors and uh, murdered them in the streets. Um, and they were searching for Rav Elchanan. Rav Elchanan was known as one of the great leaders of the Jews, of the Jewish community. Um, and the Nazis were looking for him. They wanted, that was part of the Nazi strategy was to find the leaders first and, uh, to humiliate the leaders in the presence of their communities and then to murder them, to actually kill their, their leaders. Um, and then that would create a, a sense of hopelessness and that without leadership, it would be much easier to um, manipulate the Jews and to get them to either to their death at the Ansas group, which was in the early times of um, the uh, Second World of the Nazis' occupation of Eastern Europe, and then later to, of course, the death camps, which was a method of extermination that was developed a little bit later by the Nazis. Um, so anyway, Rav Elchanan, they were looking for him, and he, uh, there was a, there were because of his renown. So, and he was staying in this house in Slovodka. As I mentioned, I've been there, and I've stood in the courtyard of that house. And um, there were often young Bokhrim, young students going in and out of this house. And there was a Lithuanian policeman and a Nazi. And they noticed that there was a bit of activity at this house. And so they thought, okay, maybe that's where the famous rabbi is. And so they went and they saw Ravokhana. And um, the Nazi was struck by his presence, by his kedusha, by the light that shone from his face. And he said to the Lithuanian, he said to the Lithuanian, um, let's leave him. Let's leave it, let's leave it. 
you know. And the Thuanian said, no, this is the rabbino we're looking for. This is the great rabbi. We have to take him. And they took Rav Elchanan. How do I know this? I heard this from Rav Pesach Kron, who heard this from and the granddaughter of, of that house that he was in, the, the house of uh, in Slobodka. So Robertson Kotler, who married Rav Aaron, one of the Kotler grandchildren, he she um, it was her grandfather's house. And he to, she told Rav Akron the story. Unbelievable, isn't it? And so the Lithuanian was the guy who didn't want to let Rav Akron go. The Nazi did. Um, and so they arrested him. And they took Rav Elchanan to a place called Ninth Fort. There were a number of forts that were built around Kovno that were used for wars at, at previous times. Um, and the Nazis converted those forts into killing grounds. First, they rounded up the leadership of the community and put them in these terrible conditions um, into these prisons at these forts. And then they took them out and they shot them. They killed them. And so um, it was on Sunday, the 13th of Tammuz, in 1941, that the great Rav Al-Khanan Vassaman was murdered. Um, so on our trip that uh, we went with Rav Akron, I was together with my wife and my parents. It was really an incredible experience, a life-changing experience. I highly recommend it uh, to go on the right tour with the right people, and uh, it really could transform a person in many ways. So we had we had gone to Poland first. And of course, we went to the, the death camps in Poland. We went to Majanek, we went to Auschwitz, which, you know, it's just indescribable. The emotions and the thoughts that one goes through standing in the place where our brothers and sisters were murdered. Six million of our brothers and sisters murdered. So it's just unthinkable, isn't it? It's, it's just unbelievable to talk about it and to fathom such a thing. But that's what happened. Um, and to the rise of anti-Semitism today really causes us to pause and to think and to realize that Esav Soines Yaakov, that the non-Jewish world hates the Jewish world. We see the unbelievable discrimination against Israel, the unfair treatment that Israel gets on the international stage and how the UN condemns anything that Israel does but terrorist attacks against Jewish civilians, they silent. So, you know, it's a familiar story, the way the nations of the world treat the Jewish people. Um, so to go to these places and to witness, to stand on the play, on the ground where millions of Jews were murdered is just an unbelievable experience. Um, so, you know, one, one goes through the different emotions. And then we went to Lithuania and we went to, um, I have a deep spiritual connection to Rav Ochonom because um, I, I probably mainly because I, I love his Torah. I love the things that he's written and I really enjoy learning his Torah. Um, and probably because I had a connection with his son, Rav Simcha. So the only survivor of his family was Rav Simcha. Rav Simcha Vassaman. Rav Simcha went to the United States and he built yeshivas in Detroit and in LA and he ended up in Eretz Yisrael. When I was in Osama in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Simcha was teaching there. He gave us two classes a week. It was just an incredible experience to learn Torah from this man who was an unbelievable Talmud Chochem. But even more than his Torah knowledge was his midas, the way he behaved, the way he treated everybody, the way he smiled at us. He was an old man already. And we were these Balei Tshuva. We came from homes that were not observant. And his patience and his love and his glow were, were unforgettable to me. Um, and uh, I, I were merited to eat at his home twice on a Shabbos, two Shabbos meals. 
Um, and he and his wife were incredible together. They had the most amazing relationship, just that love and that light in that home also made a tremendous impression on me. So I probably felt a personal connection to Rabbi Khanan, but through the years, his Torah has touched me very deeply. And so when we wa- went to the ninth fort, um, I was quite insistent on our tour. They didn't want to go. We were late, etc. I said, no, we have to go. And when we went to the ninth fort, um, so that's when I broke down. You know, that's when I was like a basket case. You know, up until then, I'd been pretty strong. And I was concerned that maybe my wife would, you know, take it very badly. And now I had become the basket case. She was like holding me and helping me. I, I just was finished. We walked through like a little tunnel, you know, so they took us where Rabbi Khanu was incarcerated, what they turned into the prison in this. The building is still there, the ninth fort. And then they walked us through a tunnel and it took us out to like a, a pit on the outside. And that's where they walked and we sang the song, Gam ki elet We sang the song as we were walking through there. And I just imagined, I'm getting emotional now again, um, how Ravel Khanan, his last footsteps were on this ground and what he thought. And there are survivors of that massacre. And they said that Ravel Khanan was so strong and he told them all, you have to have pure kavanas and we are dying al-Kiddush Hashem and our death should be a kapara for Klai Israel. And a kapara for he saw America, he saw what was going on in the Western world and how out of Europe, the Jews were assimilating. And he said it should be a kapara for all of the Jewish people and for the Jews of America. And um, it should be a spiritual merit for the Jewish people, our dying Al-Kiddush Hashem. Those, those were his last words. And so we went to this pit where they were shot, they were machine gunned down, and uh, really was a a powerful and very moving moment for me in my life. So we remember Abu Khanan on his yacht site, which was on the 13th of Tamos, which was on this past Sunday. Um, and of course, we should be inspired by such individuals, people that were dedicated to the Jewish people, that had a tremendous love for the Jewish people, and a tremendous love for Klai Yisrael. And I think that leads us into the next part very, very well, because this week's Pasha is Pasha's Pinchas. And we see an amazing thing. Pinchas was somebody who had, like these great people through the ages, an appreciation for what a Jew is, and what Kavod Shemaim is, what the honor of Hashem is in this world. And Pinchas, so we all know uh, what happened, I presume. Uh, just uh, we'll go over the story very briefly, and then we'll bring out the point that I'd like to emphasize. And that is that Pinchas was, um, what happened was, we know that uh, Balak hired Bilam. Bilam was this prophet of the nations of the world, and Bilam um, was an individual who, the Ramban says Hashem specifically wanted a non-Jewish prophet to praise the Jewish people because we should listen to our enemies when they talk. Um, we should listen to, as Rav Israel Salanta says, we should listen to our enemies when they say they want to destroy us. Uh, that was, by the way, one of the important lessons Menachem Begin used to um, emphasize about the Holocaust. He said that we should, when our enemies threaten us, and when they openly say what they want to do, what their plans are, we should listen to them. That should be one of the primary lessons of the Holocaust, said Menachem Begin. So when Hezbollah say that they've got 50,000 rockets aimed towards Israel, that they are going to be firing on Israel, we should take that seriously. And when Hamas praise this terrorist yesterday who, who, uh, attempted to murder 
a number of people in Tel Aviv and thank God for a citizen who neutralized him quickly before he could do his damage. He injured seven people. Um, so when Hamas praise such an individual and say this person is a martyr and is a hero of our cause and they um, very clearly declare in their in their um, founding documents in the the purpose of Hamas is to their, their main goal you can look it up on their website their main goal is to destroy the Jews of Israel is to wipe out the Jews of Israel that is the Focus of their organization of their movement, so we should take that seriously. Shouldn't ignore that. They're very serious about that, and if we ignore that, we do so at our own peril, and uh, we face a mortal danger. And when Iran say that they want to fire their nuclear, they want to develop nuclear weapons in order to fire them on Israel, we should take that very seriously. That is something that they will do all they can to achieve. And they will attempt to wipe out the Jewish people. So these are things we should take very seriously. So Bilam was a non-Jewish prophet. And uh, Rav Yishol said we should take their threats seriously, but take their praises seriously too. And uh, the praises of, of Bilam were quite immense. He really captured the essence of Klai Yisrael, of the Jewish people, which is uh, something that's significant. So what happened is that he tried to curse the Jewish people, Bilam. But he was not successful in his curses. And instead of cursing, he blessed. In other words, he told Balak. Balak promised him fame and riches and a life of luxury and wealth if he cursed the Jewish people. And Bilam knew he shouldn't do it, but he couldn't resist the temptation. And so he gave in to the uh, the great attraction of these promises, and he went along. And uh he, he said to Balak, all I can do is say that which Hashem allows me to say. And he knew, being the great prophet that he was, that there is one moment each day that Hashem, Midas Hadin reigns. In other words, Hashem is not compassionate towards the Jewish people and will be judged exactly for what we deserve. And he knew that if he could sink into that moment and curse the people at that time, it would cause a great spiritual damage to the Jewish people and they would be, they could face the danger of being wiped out by, by Balak. And by the the people of Midian and Moab, um, and so that was his tactic. That was his his uh, plan. And uh, but Hashem didn't give him that opportunity. Hashem changed the system, so Bilam couldn't actually sink into that moment, and he he uh, was not able to curse the Jewish people, and he ended up blessing the Jewish people. So Balak was very angry with him and said, "You know, I hired you and promised you a, a, a huge fee to curse." And you bless, like what is going on over here? So Bilam said, I always said all along I would only be able to say that which Hashem, God allowed me to say. But he said, I'll leave you with a parting piece of advice which will be of great assistance to you and will be something that will lead to the downfall of the Jews. And he said, the weakness of the Jews is sexual immorality, is they won't be able to, to resist the daughters of Midian and of Moab. And if you lure them, if you seduce them with your daughters, if you entice them to Avodah to idol worship, so then their God despises sexual immorality and they'll lose that spiritual protection. That was his excellent piece of advice to Balak. And that's exactly what Balak did. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. 
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been discussing um, Bilam's uh, attempt to destroy the Jewish people. Um, Balak hired him to do so. He was not successful in cursing and only blessings came out, very powerful, beautiful blessings came out. And um, he suggests to Balak as a parting piece of advice that the way to get to the Jewish people is to get them to sin sexually, to get them to uh, give in to their sexual urges with the daughters of Midian and of Moab. And that's how uh, he said their God is no, does not tolerate sexual immorality. And therefore, they would lose their divine protection as a result, which is what this was all about. Uh, Balak knew that they, Hashem is on our side, that we were protected by Hashem. That's how we got out of Egypt. And that's how we defeated our enemies. And he knew that with Hashem's uh, protection, that he would have no chance against the Jewish people. The Jewish people wanted to make peace with him, but he wasn't interested. He wanted to attack us. He wanted to destroy us. He wanted to, to remove our spiritual protection. And therefore, uh, be successful in destroying us. And by the way, that's the way it always works with Klai Israel. The, the rules of the game with the Jewish people are dependent upon our relationship with Hashem. If we have a strong connection, if we are doing our job and doing our commitments and responsibilities as Jews, which means to serving Hashem, which means observing Hashem's mitzvahs, doing what Hashem asks us to do, which is really not a lot. If we do what Hashem asks us to do, Hashem will do His part. And Hashem is a loyal partner. And Hashem will protect us from our enemies and will save us from those that want to destroy us. Through every generation they want to destroy us. That's the reality of the world. Every generation, as we say in the Haggadah, they stand up against us to destroy us. Just like they did at the times of Holocaust 75 years ago and just like they did They've done ever before that and since then. It's always the same. They always want to destroy us. Look at the world today, as I mentioned earlier, the unbelievable bias against Israel on the international stage. It's just ridiculous. So that doesn't change. The thing that is in our hands, that which we control, is do we do our part in terms of our covenant with God? And if we do, Hashem will protect us. And if we don't, Hashem, we no longer merit divine protection, and then we are very vulnerable. And then we face, we hand it over into the hands of the non-Jews, and they can do what they want to do to us. So so Balak knew that, and that's why he wanted Bilam to curse, and he wanted us to lose the divine protection, and then he could destroy the Jewish people. He knew exactly how it works. And uh, by the way, Hitler knew that too, and he understood the spiritual merit of the Jewish people, and he... Um, he worked against undermining us spiritually. So, so, um, what's the tactic? What's their strategy? What's their plan? Their plan is that they'll seduce the Jewish men. The Jewish men will succumb to the daughters of Moab and Midian. And then, as a result of that, they would lose their divine protection and then they could wipe us out. So, how, what was their big scheme, their plot? Was that the, the daughters of Moab and Midian would approach the Jewish men. The, the, the Jews bought in their marketplaces. They would entice them. They would seduce them. 
they would um, tell them that they would be intimate with them only if the men would bow down to their idols, to their Abodazora. And that was the plan. So the men, many, many Jewish men couldn't resist that temptation. They bowed to the idol worship of the Moabites and the Midianites, and they were with the the woman. And as a result, Hashem removed his spiritual protection of the Jewish people. That was the great danger that was going on. And there was an incident um, which was actually flagrantly displayed publicly to the Jewish people. And there was even the head of a tribe of of the Jewish people, one of the leaders of the Jewish people. Um, his name was Zimri. And he was from the tribe of Shimon. And he was a, a one of the princesses of of Midian. The, the, it, it actually, the Torah tells us that the Moabites, their daughters seduced the regular uh, members of Klai Israel. And the Midianite princesses seduced the leadership of Klaisra. And she was a Midianite princess, and she seduced Zimri. And they were intimate in public in the presence of the Zakadim and the presence of Moshe Rabbeinu. And everybody was just flabbergasted. The Torah says that everybody was crying, and they didn't know what to do. And they didn't know how to react to this outrage that was taking place. And Pinchas picked up his spear and he speared both of them. And he took care of the situation. Um, and as a result, so it, it brought an end to these terrible outrages that were taking place. And that's what the Torah says at the beginning of this week's parasha. Pinchas ben Eloza ben Aaron Akoin, Heshiv ez Hamasi. Hashem says that Pinchas, he restored my, my anger, my rage. Me al Israel, but kano es kinasi. In his standing up in a zealous way. And as a result, Hashem says, I didn't destroy the Jewish people, but Kinasi, in my anger, in my jealousy, which would then needs to be understood what that means. And then Hashem says, and therefore I will give him the covenant of peace. Brisi Shalom, the covenant of peace. The Sforno says, what is this covenant of peace? The Sforno says, from the Malachamaves. In other words, Pinchas was now given this covenant of peace from the angel of death. And that's what he says. He, he explains the Sorno that uh, Pinchas lived a very long time. And in fact, he's Eliyahu Navi, he's Pinchas, and Vahu Adain Chai Vakayam. He still lives. He never died because he was given peace. Uh, this bris of Shalom was the bris of peace. So let's try and understand what that means. You know, um, Pinchas was Ben Elazar Ben Aaron Hakoin. He was Aaron's grandson. And the Kohanim are all about Shalom, about peace. Aaron HaKohen was Oyev Shalom, Roydev Shalom, Oyev Esabriyos Karvim Torah. He loved peace. He pursued peace. He loved his fellows and he brought them to Torah. That was, that was Aaron. And the Birkas Kohanim, the blessings of the Kohanim is all about Shalom. It's all about peace. A Kohen, you know, Halacha is that if there's a Kohen who hates another Jew in his community, he can't do Birkas Kohanim. He has to include everybody. It all has to be part of it. Um, that would disqualify him from Birkas Kohanim because the blessing of the Kohanim is all about shalom, about love, about peace. So Pinchas, who is now a Kohen, who grew up in the home of Aaron Kohen, does this act of zealotry. It seems to be the opposite of peace. But he's blessed with Brisi Shalom, with the covenant of peace. So that seems to be strange. It doesn't seem to be in sync. It doesn't make any sense. So let's try and understand 
Um, we'll answer that question when we return in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we'll end off with answering the question that we just asked. How is it that Pinchas, who came from a home of such love and such warmth, did such an act of violence? It seems like it's in contradiction to who he was, to who the Kohanim are, and to the bris, the covenant that Hashem blessed him with, the covenant of Shalom, as a result of him doing this. And the answer to this is quite simple, and that is that um, maybe we can try and understand it with a, a mashal, with a, a parable. Um, the Perhaps we could say that, um, let's say somebody's mother was walking down the street, and she was attacked. So, of, of course, that person would jump in and would bring that to an end and would protect her. So is that an, an act of violence or is that an act of love to protect somebody who's being, a loved one who's being attacked? Of course, it's an act of love. It's pure love. So, so to Pinchas was the person who was so filled with love. He understood what it meant to be a Jew. He understood the Tzedem Elohim, the Chelek Elokai Mimal that every Jew is. And that a Jew is supposed to bring the light of God into the world. That the covet of Shemaim, the glory and honor of Hashem, is supposed to be reflected through the Jewish people. So when the Jews were being degraded, when the, the Jewish people were being humiliated in such a way, that was absolutely intolerable to Pintos. That was like his mother being attacked in the street. And of course he's going to step up and stand up and bring an end to that intolerable situation. Um, so our impression of Pinchas being this angry guy, you know, like I remember when I was a teenager, you know, you always had these angry guys that were looking for a fight, and they weren't even always the biggest, strongest guys. They were just like really angry, you know, and looking for somebody to to uh, rub them up the wrong way, and then they would uh, climb into them. So that's our impression of Pinchas. He's this angry guy who's looking to protect the honor of Hashem. That is completely wrong. Pinchas was a gentle, loving person. He was the one that if you stepped into the room would smile and would approach you warmly and would say, is there anything I can do for you? It's wonderful to see you. You know, when, when somebody does it, when you're a stranger and you enter into a foreign place and somebody treats you with warmth, it's a beautiful thing. It goes a long way. Pinchas was the first one to do that. He was very much in the way, in the the mannerisms of his grandfather, Aaron O'Cohen, Oev Shalom. And Broidev Shalom, he pursued peace. But he had this understanding of what it means to be a Jew. That a Jew is a chedek elokamimal. Understanding that the purpose of Klai Yisrael is to reflect the glow and the light and the holiness of Hashem, of God, in this world. And when that was being degraded, when that was being, when the, when Hashem's glory was being humiliated by the, by what was going on in Klai Yisrael, that was a situation that could not be tolerated by Pinchas. And then surely he would stand up, not out of anger and out of aggression, but out of love, love for Hashem and love for the Jewish people. So that's who Pinchas was. They say about Rav Chaim um, Soloveitchik, Rav Chaim was the great leader of Lithuanian Jewry, the, the rabbi of Brisk. He was first the rabbi in Volozhin until it closed in 1992, and then he became the rabbi of Brisk, taking over from his father and his grandfather. 
sorry, from his father. And Rav Chaim was the one who stood up against secularism and stood up against secular Zionism. He was like a lion. He fought the battles of Hashem and of Torah on behalf of the Jewish people. Um, so you would think Rav Chaim was this like, you know, powerful, aggressive person. But he it was known in Europe that if anybody was destitute and if anybody had been was lost and if uh, children lost their parents and were orphans, which was often the case in Europe, the place to go was the house of Reb Chaim. He took everybody in. He took in orphans. He took in abused men, women, and children. And he took care of them. And he, he married them off. And he was just legendary in his chesed. But he also stood up for Klai Israel Because his love was so strong. He knew the purpose of this world was to bring the glory of Hashem into the world. And that's the job of the Jewish people. And if that's being that's prevented, if that's being stopped, if that's being blocked, so one has to stand up with love and bravery to fight the battles of Hashem for the glory of Hashem. So that's who Pinchas was, and that's what Pinchas teaches us, and that is the role of every Jew, is to see the greatness of our fellow Jews, is to see the Tzelem Hashem, the spark of the divine that's in every single one, and to fight, to bring Hashem's glory into the world. That's why we're here, that's the purpose of creation, and that's the purpose of the Jewish people. So Hashem, we should all stand up to that holy task and do so with love and with compassion and with commitments. And Pinchas, who was Eliyahu, who never died, he would be, he's the one who ushers in the Shiach because he recognizes this point. That's what's going to bring the Shiach. And may we see Mashiach bimhera bi Amen. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.